There's a lot of people getting into this business, right? It's like, I'm getting in because I want to make a ton of money and have freedom. But you got to be careful because if you feel like you're only going to be happy as soon as you achieve that, you miss the being happy while you're doing it. And that's really where a lot of the success comes in, I think. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by Ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason J. Lou Lewis. And today, we are going to be diving into the world of enjoying the fix and flip business. A lot of people get into it. It can be a grind. It can beat you up and spit you out. But our guest today, Mr. Danny Johnson, is going to talk about his experience over the last, I think it looks like seven, 17 years or so of being in the business of what it takes to kind of make it enjoyable and sustainable and where you both not only make a profit, but it also makes you happy as well. So Danny Newman is flipping junkie podcast. He's been investing since 2003, owner of the Lead Propeller, owner of Flip Pilots, which is a lead management software, jack of all trades, master of the flipping. Here he is, Mr. Danny Johnson. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, great to have you. So as we, we dove in a little bit before we, we hit the record button, uh, talking aviation. So as you, as you might can tell with the lead propeller and then the flip pilot that uh, Danny is a, a pilot himself. So he's kind of taken that passion and overlaid it onto his business and kind of pulled that in and, and the branding. So we didn't really talk about that aspect, but I'm guessing that that also might make just overall day-to-day a little more fun when you've, you've pulled in the passion outside of real estate and tied it into even the branding and the name of yeah. what you do on a day-to-day. Yeah, it's like one of those things to, to give it a little bit of personality, right? And so it's not just cut and dry and, and you know, f- so focused on one thing. It does cause confusion, though, because sometimes, you know, people will think that it's completely about aviation and it's not a, <laughs> about real estate investing or, or, you know, websites for house flippers or real estate investors looking for motivated sellers. You know, they wonder if it's an aviation thing, but... Um, just a way to tie in my two passions, the passion of real estate and the passion of, of flying and aviation. And uh, just to keep my day-to-day, you know, interesting and, and having that. Plus, I think there's like a nostalgia to, to a lot of the flying stuff. There's like a, like with the history of it and, you know, Charles Lindbergh and all that kind of stuff. There's like a fascination for me about that, which keeps me, you know, you know, it's like the imagination, right? Just like this whole idea of all this kind of stuff. And, and even our core values here at the office, like I have one of the posters is own it. And it's got this old timey, like picture of Charles Lindbergh. So that's just a kind of cool twist on everything that we can flavor it with, with both real estate and, you know, that I think you mentioned my name is Paul or Danny Newman, but it's Danny. Yeah, that's all right. No, that, that is my mistake. Danny Newman, uh, is uh, one of my guys here in Denver and he just did a big creative real estate deal that got announced this morning. And I was literally just reading uh, about that (laughs) a few minutes before. Literally, Danny Newman, he bought uh, the historic clock tower here in Denver and it's in downtown Denver and it's an old historic clock tower that had been converted into, uh, it was office space. And he just announced this morning, a few hours ago, that he bought the top 
five floors of that to repurpose into um, a wedding and event venue space. So I do apologize that listeners, uh, Danny Johnson and Danny Newman, if your name's Danny today, you're doing cool stuff in the real estate world. So I want to, I want to hear some more uh, Danny created real estate uh, deals from other people uh, out there named Danny. So I, I apologize for that. So. All good. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into kind of, how'd you get into real estate? What take us back to your first real estate deal? Okay. Yeah. First real estate deal. I mean, yeah, I like talking about how I even got into it because I did, you know, I went to, to, to college to, to get a degree in computer science, which was like right around the time that uh, the internet was taking off and I graduated college in 2000. So this is like the whole big bubble of everybody getting online and all that kind of stuff. So, so I, I got into software development and I got a job here in San Antonio for a defense contractor doing some top secret kind of work, which was completely boring and not at all exciting. But um, I was in this room without windows because it was like all in lockdown. It was like a vault kind of thing I was working in. And uh, at that time, my dad had started, uh, you know, flipping houses. And there was some floods here in South Texas around that time. And he was buying up a bunch of flood properties and, and rehabbing them and selling them. And I saw how much excitement he was having for that. And just like how every day he had like a new adventure going on. And so as I'm sitting there in that office, in that locked room, that vault, you know, thinking how he's running around and, and doing deals, making him 20, 30, $40,000, you know, having a blast. I was like, wow, I, I kind of feel like I, I want to do that too. And so I started, uh, you know, part-time trying to find uh, a house. And so the first deal that I did was actually for myself was the house to live in. And it was a HUD home. So I bought a HUD home uh, for like, was it like 72,000? I think it was. And I lived in that. I lived downstairs while I fixed the upstairs up. Then I moved upstairs and fixed the downstairs up. And I learned a lot about how I did not want to do the construction stuff. Like that was just not for me, right? Like laying behind the toilet and like doing stuff and having all the water spray on you and stuff was not my thing. And I'm just not good at it. So anyway, so I learned a lot from that one. I think I sold that house for 100 and was it 130 or something like that. So there was a huge spread, almost 50K that I made on that one. And then to not have capital gains on that income because I'd lived there for, I think, two and a half or three years uh, was was in, in just incredible. And in that time, while I was still living there, I, I got into buying houses and, and doing deals. Uh, the first deal, that deal probably took me about nine months to find. And then the second one after that was maybe around like four or five months, I think it was. And, and that was a crazy situation there. And I'm glad I had a mentor to handle that one. So, you know, my father was a contractor as I was growing up for a house flipper here in town. And so that became my mentor. The guy that, that taught him ended up teaching me too. And, um, you know, I've sent a letter to this house that had burn damage. It was vacant and actually not far from this office where I am now. It's just a couple blocks up the road, which is cool. I, I sent them a letter and this was a really creative deal. This was pretty intense. I hope I can remember the details correctly, but, uh, you know, basically center letters saying I wanted to buy that house. They called and, and said, okay, um, we, we filed an insurance claim. We got the money. We took the money. Instead of fixing the house up, we bought a house down the street. And so we still owe 60,000 on that house. And, uh, you know, I think the, the house was probably worth like 150, maybe a little bit more fixed up. 
And so, but with the burn, it was burned pretty bad. So the fix up was going to cost a lot. So we were, we were looking at it and saying, okay, well, let's try to do a short sale. I mean, obviously the bank's asset here is like destroyed and they took the money and didn't even fix it up from the insurance, which I'm not even sure how all that works, but they, the bank, we did all the process of doing a short sale. The bank ended up saying they'd take 25 K for it. And so we were just like, oh, this is awesome. You know, 25 K turn around, rehab this thing, make a ton of money. And before, right before we got to closing, the seller said, Hey, it's not fair that you guys are being able to buy it from the bank for 25 K and they won't let us pay it off at 25 K. So we're not going to go cause it's not fair. We're not going to sell it to you. And uh, you know, they were just saying, we're not going to do it. So we can't force them. I mean, I, I mean, I could have maybe sued or whatever for performance or whatever on the contract, but that's not the type of person I am. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting because then the, the bank actually called and said, well, if they're not going to come to closing, do you guys just want to buy the note? You know, why don't y'all just buy the note for the 25,000, you know? And so, and then we agreed and said, okay, well, let's just buy the note then. And then, you know, we control the note. And if they're not paying on the note, we'll just foreclose and, and take the house. And, and so we did that. And while we were buying the note, the, the bank came back and said, you know, we, we got this, we, we, this note was a part of a deal that we got and there was never actually a physical note. We, we don't have one. So all we can do is give you an affidavit that we had a note on this property, you know, which was kind of shaky. It's like, eh, I don't know. That's yeah. We can get an affidavit that you say, so it was kind of getting shaky. And, and, uh, and at that time, somehow somebody else got a hold of us cause they found out that we were buying this or something. It was a, a, an attorney, I think. And he said, you know, I want to buy that house. And I heard you guys are buying it or something like that. Anyway, we ended up doing the deal with him and sold it to him, I think, for like 50K. And, uh, you know, where we didn't have to do any foreclosure or anything like that. And so we made 25K without really doing anything but all this legwork and didn't have to fix it up. So that 25K, we got split with our mentor because that was the deal that we were doing. He was helping coaching us and putting up money and we would split the profits. And so, yeah, that became you know, I don't know, like twelve to $15,000 of marketing that we put in to getting more deals. So it was awesome. It was a great way to learn how to stick with the deal and not give up right from the get-go. Not that I wanted to do that on all of them because things had to work out just right. But Yeah, def- definitely a little, little hair on, on that one, it sounded like. Mm-hmm. And what was the reason that the bank wouldn't sell it to them for the 25 I'm versus, sure. I don't versus know. you? I'm, so. I'm not sure what the, it, well, they didn't have 25 grand, first of all. So maybe it wasn't uh, okay. that, they yeah. that they didn't have any money to that makes sense. spend it on another house. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well then, so that was say your second deal. And then that was 10, 15 plus years ago. What, what can it transpired over the next 10 to 15 years that kind of brought you to today doing what you're doing with, with all of the flip yeah. development deals. There. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, we, I think, you know, my wife and I at the time were, we got to the point pretty quickly where we were doing, you know, 15 up to about 30 deals a year. And I think right around, we were still probably doing about 10 to 15. I was still working my job. So that was still part time. And I did that for a little over two and a half years, I think almost three years part time. So I still worked the job because I just, you know, even though we were pretty consistent, like I felt like that could end at any time and I was nervous about it and getting that steady paycheck from the well-paying job just helped keep me a little bit 
you know, satisfied and not so scared because I was always consistent. And it took me having my job fire me to, to go full time. And then they, they finally, I think, realized that I was just, you know, like analyzing real estate deals on the job <laughs> and not really doing much of the work. And so they finally let me go. And, um, you know, it was it was great. It was awesome because it, it got me into going full time. But whenever I went full time, I was like, man, I really wanted to do this, but now I don't know what to do with my time. I got so used to not having so much time that I got to where I focused on what needed to be done instead of the time-wasting stuff that we fall into when we go full-time. So that was an interesting thing. So if anybody out there is listening and you're considering, like, I'd like to go full-time right away, I want to quit my job to get into flipping, you know, just understand that, that there's a lot of benefit to have from doing it part-time. And it can totally be done part-time. And it really teaches you how to focus on the 20% of things that are going to produce 80% of the results. So rather than designing your business cards and trying to figure out asset protection when you don't have any assets and all this other stuff, you're like, all I need to do right now is make sure that I'm getting people to call me telling me they want to sell their house. That's it. Like I can worry about the rest of it when the time comes. And I did that that way. We did that that way where when that first phone call came in, I didn't even know what the hell I was going to say to them. Like, I, I didn't, like, I think we, we missed the, the address. Like, we talked to them and then had to call them back because we never even got the address. And, you know, I even threw the phone to my wife when that first call came in. I, I was too nervous to even take it. And so that's how that was. You know, I was probably 23 years old or whatever at the time. But I didn't really know what the heck we were doing. And then, like, when we signed up the first deal after those two that we already talked about on the show, yeah, I think it was on that one, we – we went to, we got the house under contract and I went to the title company. So I'm not sure how we did that first one. I think maybe my mentor did it, but I, we actually got the contract, went to the title company and I was sitting in the parking lot of the title company going, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say when I go inside this title company. You know, I had to call my dad and be like, Hey, what am I supposed to tell them? <laughs> like, I've got this contract to buy this house and I don't even know what I'm supposed to say when I come in here to give it to them. You know, and he's like, just tell them that you're there to receive it. And, you know, he walked me kind of through it. But the thing is, even without having all that mapped out, I was able to put a deal together. And then when it made time to, like, became time to do it, I learned while I was doing it. And it stuck with me because I was learning on the job. Like, I was actually physically doing this stuff. Because we can try all day long to figure out all of it and learn all of it. But you're not going to remember all of it. And, and there's not really a point until it's time to do it. That, that can seem like bad advice for some people that obviously you don't want to just go and put something in a contract without knowing what you're buying of whether it's a deal or not. But, you know, some people can take the, the whole education part of it to the extreme for several years and never talk to someone interested in selling their house. And um, anyway, I get down that, that rabbit hole of that. So, so on full time, we started doing more and more deals after about, I think it was maybe seven, eight years, I started blogging after I got my pilot's license, um, what, what happened was uh, one summer we took a trip up the West Coast and I went to see the Spruce Goose in McMinnville, Oregon. So Howard Hughes' giant flying boat uh, was up there in, in the museum up there, Air and Space Museum. And so while I was there, I was like, man, I really want to take flying lessons. I think when I get back, I'm going to sign up for those. I'm going to sign up for some flying lessons and just do it and see what happens. And so as soon as I got back and was taking flying lessons, I, I, it became my world. I was so absorbed into it, like learning everything I could about flying and, 
you know, to the detriment of my flipping business. And at that time, it was really just my wife and I, and we had a realtor and contractors and stuff, but it was us running everything. And what I found was the marketing that we had been doing was producing the results three months later for the most part. So, you know, three months into flying lessons and me not doing much marketing, we're still getting the leads because we had done all the work for months and months before that. So they were still coming in. By the time I was done after the three months of getting my license, my pilot's license, like the deals, the, the leads were drying up. You know, it was like, we were not getting that many calls anymore. It was starting to die off. And I found myself wanting to fly and not wanting to work so much. And, uh, you know, I needed something to, to motivate me. And I had been on bigger pockets a lot. And I was thinking, you know, I've seen people talk about what they do in the business and I need some accountability. And what better way to show people how to do this than to tell them what I'm doing every single day. So it's like I was starting over again at that point. And so what I did was on, on the Flipping Junkie blog, I started every week, I would post every single call that I got. And I would put like write down exactly what the person, why they were selling, how much they were asking for it, uh, what I figured I could probably pay for it minus whatever the repair costs were going to be and whether I went to go see the house. And then, so every week was kind of tracking, here's all leads came in, here's the marketing I did, here's what produced these leads, and then the deals that I got, and then walking through the whole process. Because I noticed at the time, blogs were basically of two camps, right? They, they either were showing the, the rehabbing part of it, like you see on the TV shows, but the, you didn't know what, how that deal was produced you know, and what the real numbers were and all that kind of stuff. You just, you didn't see that side of it. And then you had the other side of things, the other camp of blogs where it was like showing how to, um, you know, how to do it. Like the, the, here's the five tips for, you know, making a better offer or something like that. But they weren't showing you what they were actually doing in the business, the actual rehabs and all that kind of stuff. So this became a marriage of all of that just to show people, you know, here's the marketing it takes to generate this many, leads that generated this many deals that made this much profit. And so I did that for like 43 weeks, I think. It was nearly a year, maybe it was 34 weeks. It was 34 weeks and there was like 500 leads that I blogged about, you know, I produced so many deals. And the big thing that people came back to me about with that was that it helped them really see that this was a numbers game. You know, because- Numbers I, game in way of like, numbers of deals you have to do or the number that you have to make sure the numbers work? Well, my lead to deal ratio was horrible then. <laughs> and looking back on it, it's like, wow, this is insane. But I think I did like 11 or 13 deals out of that 500 leads, which is like a pretty pitiful performance. Right. And so, but, but like in that blog, like me saying, here's another lead, here's another lead, here's another lead. I said, no, 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 no. And you see that you just need to generate a lot of leads, right? If you're trying to, to force this non-deal to become a deal, the problem is not that they don't want it to, to sell it low enough for you. It's just that they're not motivated enough. You need to move on and try to get another lead, you know, or follow up with them, which is where I am now. But, and I can talk about that, the difference of, of why the lead to deal ratio was so horrible. And then over the years after that, what's happened to increase that. So that's how we can, we can talk. I think that'd be a great way to talk about it. So knowing that it's a numbers game, right? Like if you, if you're getting, you know, maybe one lead per week and at the end of two months, you've looked at maybe eight leads, you know, and you didn't get a deal and you're like, how come other people are getting deals and I'm not? It's like, well, it's probably because they're looking at a lot more properties than you are. 
you know, they're taking a lot more calls or getting a lot more leads. So that's, that's most likely the problem for a lot of people. Anyway, going from there, um, I, I met Justin Williams. I flew out to California and hung out with him. And he was, what I was so fascinated about was he was only working, you know, maybe I think it was like 15 minutes or an hour a week or something like that. So he had the team built and they were doing it. I was still going to every appointment. I always felt like, I don't know. I don't think I could hire somebody that would handle these appointments the way I do, you know, and be able to get these things under contract, which was a complete big false belief. And he helped me see that. So we started building the team then and, you know, we got it operating really well. And the people that were focused on those different pieces. So acquisitions person that's completely focused on acquisitions is going to like, they have the time to prep for the, you know, the, the seller meeting and, you know, go in with numbers and talk to the people, take the time to sit down on the couch with them for an hour and then follow up with them, all that kind of stuff. They've got the time to do it. So, you know, my belief that I could do it better could be true, but the fact is I was also wearing all these other hats. So being that I had to keep changing hats, I couldn't do it as well as somebody focused on it, you know, and, uh, and then lead intake. If you've got someone to handle lead intake and they're able to spend the time on the phone, I got to the point where I was finding myself frustrated when my phone was ringing, which is a horrible place to be in this business. If you're the one supposed to be answering the calls, you know, where I was like, I think, you know, my wife then, there would be times I'd get off the phone from a seller, a motivated seller call, and she'd say, you were kind of rude to them. And it was like I was frustrated because I was like, oh, I got all these things to do, you know, and it was a bad place to be. And so hiring out at that time made sense, okay, because we were trying to scale up and, and we wanted, we even set a goal several years back to do like 100 deals in a year, which I found to not be good for me. You know, for, for what I wanted, it, it turned out not to be good for me. I actually got to the point. So this is awesome because I, I wanted to talk about this because I have been through like, you know, the, the crash of 08 and then up into things going well since 2012, probably up till now. And then, you know, COVID and all that kind of stuff right now. So kind of uncertainty. But I've also gone from through that, but also into wanting to scale a business up big which a lot of people are talking about these days of building the business, all that kind of stuff back to the point where I am now. So we tried, we did that where we wanted to do a hundred deals. Our company overhead rose tremendously. Our marketing costs rose tremendously. And at the end of the day, what the net profit ended up being wasn't all that much different. It was like we were killing ourselves to do this. And even worse than that, I found myself with this sort of idea that any kind of work was not right, like was bad and I should avoid it. Like I'm not supposed to be dealing with this. Like someone's supposed to take care of that and I'll just hire somebody to do that and abdicating rather than delegating and, and just not being a good manager and leader. And, um, but I developed this, this idea that like any kind of work was, was uh, taking me away from my family and all this kind of stuff. Like it was just like, I was, I was dropping the ball in the business as it was growing because it wasn't really right for me, like to build that big business. I wasn't wanting to build this, this big machine that I felt like had to keep going because it was a lot. Like it just was kind of a lot to, to maintain as I was also doing the software development stuff, you know, cause I started developing the real estate investor websites with lead propeller and then the, the lead management stuff with uh, flip So there was a lot to do. And, you know, on my podcast recently, I talked about, you know, last year being just tremendously crazy. You know, I blew like a million dollars on the first version of Flip Pilot, scrapped it, started over. 
uh, went through divorce, um, all kinds of like, you know, big stuff, you know, big stuff happening. And that, that created a lot of space for, uh, you know, introspection and, and just kind of like seeing what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And, uh, you know, I was going to be focused on the flipping business and getting back into that because, you know, Melissa had been running our flipping business for the previous two years. She was the one kind of managing that so I could focus on the software. And so after the divorce, I had, had um, uh, breakfast or coffee with my mentor and the house flipping mentor. And, and he asked me, are you going to get back into the real estate? Are you going to be active again in real estate? Are you going to do your own thing? And I hadn't given it really any thought at all. But when he said that, just something welled up inside of me. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that sounds awesome. Like, I think so. I think, uh, yeah, I want to. And so that caused me to, to look at how I want to get back into it. Like, what's the plan going to be? How am I going to? And this is all right. This is a couple months ago. So this was like right before, you know, lockdown and all that kind of stuff. So I've had the, the time to consider how I want to do this. But really what, what happened was I was looking back at like what I had done before already and trying to build up the big business and all that kind of stuff and, and whether that didn't never felt right. And when I looked at, you know, podcasting now for several years and talking to hundreds of investors and being part of masterminds and really having been around a lot of top level real estate investors, I think I, I started seeing this pattern of really the happiest ones that I've ever known tended to be the guys that were still in their business, like tended to not be running a big machine, but were just in the business still and not trying to kill it by doing a million deals. You know, they, they were just happy doing 20, 30 deals a year and just being in it because they loved doing it. You know, it didn't become this thing that had to be once I get and build this big team and don't have to work at all, I'll be happy. You know, that's a, you know, that's always setting yourself up for, for failure because you're, you're, you're putting the goal, you know, in the future always, you know, and then once you get there, you're like, well, what I don't know, I, I wanted this and now I don't know that I really want this. It's not working out the way I thought it was. You know, it's finding out how to be happy right now, how to under, like set this up so that you're enjoying what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, not to like, and that's, that's a big thing because a lot of people getting into this business, right? It's like, I'm getting in because I want to make a ton of money and have freedom. But you got to be careful because if you feel like you're only going to be happy as soon as you achieve that, you miss the being happy while you're doing it. And that's really where a lot of the success comes in, I think. It's just enjoying the process of doing it. And so... I've been talking a long time. I don't know if you have any questions or. Hey, no, I, I do think that that is one of the biggest struggles for real estate people is they see the success of others and they think that that's what they have to replicate to be successful and, and who's out there the most and doing the most uh, promoting and the most videos and the fancy car yeah. Facebook shots is the people that have these huge machines. Well, they have to feed those huge machines and then they have to make it look like they're super happy and successful. So I do think that that is one of the downsides to real estate and technology now is it's so in your face that you have to be working on the business versus in it. You're not successful if you're in it at all. And I think that does lead to possible, uh, unhappiness, ironically, because you're actually trying to be happy, but it, it's a direct correlation to your unhappiness. And they say that the happiness is the journey versus the destination. And, and I think that's what you're trying to say that's happened to you is 
you've enjoyed, you found luckily that the journey to you is more rewarding and more successful in your mind than the destination is. It's to say, let's relate this to flying. It's you enjoy the flying part and the learning and the, the history as much as just flying to get to somewhere. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's the whole thing. And it's interesting because there's a, there's a, a, an assessment test. If you've ever taken any like personality or self-assessment kind of test, big Enneagram a, guy, I'm a, I'm a seven. Cool. So, cool. and I forgot what it was. I was like either one or seven and I wanted to be one of them, but I was the other one instead. But anyway, the, uh, and then Colby test, K O L B E. But I recently found one, uh, the spark type spark type. It's from the guy that runs the good life project. I think, uh, podcast, that one was really interesting because it showed, you know, because all of those tests that I've taken before, I was always like a, um, a quick start, you know, like to create and like to just start new things and do all this kind of stuff and create things. Well, that test kind of showed me that my number one thing, my sparkotype thing that really sparks me is learning. And my archetype, uh, the, the secondary thing is the creative thing, the creating part, the making. It's called a maker. And, and the interesting thing that that told me was that you'll do a lot of that archetype. You'll do a lot of the creating making, but it's really only because it gives you the opportunity to do what really sparks you, which is the learning part. And I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. That really is true. So whenever I feel like I, I can get to a place where I'm setting things up to where I don't need to do anything, I'm not energized because I'm not learning. Like there's never going to be this place of being satisfied if it's all set and just going because I get fired up from learning. I get fired up from doing, from like just being in the whole thing and looking for the next thing that I want to learn and do, you know? So if I'm not doing that, I'm miserable. So it's pretty interesting to, to find that out. The other big thing that when you were talking about that, which made it very clear, and uh, I like the way you put all that, something that I've seen too is that with technology these days and social media and everything and, and people being real vocal about what they're doing and having followings, um, you know, is that we can tend to, you know, sort of give up the whole learning process to other people. And I see this in, in sort of in the mastermind groups and things like that, which are not, you know, horrible things. I think they're great. And there's a place for them for sure. And I've got good friends that run them, you know, but I think that there's an issue with, you know, sometimes people just looking to other people to tell them what to do, you know, or saying, I need to know what's working right now to get leads. And so I'm going to go listen to this guy that's going to talk about how he does his direct mail. And then I'm just going to do what he did, which is great. That's a great way to get started. But if that's not working out, if you just stop and go listen to somebody else and just do what they did too, you're not really, you know, going through the learning process. You know, and I think that there's, a, there's something lost in that. And part of the fun for me is lost in just doing that kind of thing because it was interesting because I started noticing this when I was listening to people speak of these masterminds. And sometimes it was just like this, we're killing it in this market. We're going to go to this market and kill it. Uh, we're starting this construction company, uh, a title company, and this. And these guys seem like like they're just, yeah. they're not excited Machines. about it. Yeah, they're just, yeah. They, they're building a machine. A, right. And that's a machine that spits off money. And that's the tough thing is when that machine and that kind of cog and the wheel and all that starts going and it's successful. It's, it's hard to, to slow it down or stop it. And then you're in it and, yeah. and you're 
It's got to keep going up and yeah, up. Yeah, and it's keep going. And you have now more mouths to feed, more deals and more overhead. So um, it's, yeah. It, I think that the takeaway, you know, here in this, at least in my end, is that you just have to figure out what you enjoy. And it's not the, again, it's the destination. It's like, what are you going to enjoy getting there? Because if that never happens or if it does happen, so be it. That doesn't matter. It's you enjoy the journey of taking a photo of a finished product and you can throw it up on your Instagram and be like, I did that. Like I did that. Or is it, does it matter that's the dollar behind her? Does it matter you've added the community or that you placed a great tenant in there and you found them a great spot to live? Whatever, like finding those things that daily where you can literally wake up and just be like, yes, yeah. I am happy that I did what I did yesterday. And if you're building just a machine, most likely there's a high probability that you will not wake up the, the, that next morning and say, man, I loved working just on the machine. And that's, I can sense that you just are genuinely enthusiastic about the history and that learning. And you spoke about that with aviation. So find that passion. Hopefully people can find it right from the beginning and not have to go through years of of pain or suffering that some, some people have to, to kind of learn that and learn it from the beginning. So and find that and, and learn along, learn what you need, you want to learn is so help, help yourself. Yeah. Well, and then like the other side of that is like, you hear the people say, you know, some of the people, and it's not everybody, right. But you just, I I started sensing this as I, as I went to a lot of the masterminds and then there would be people that get up there and would speak and just, you know, with passion, full of passion and just be like, you know, we do that. We tried this new thing. We had this idea. And so we went with it and we tried it out and it was like producing these results. And, and it's like, okay, well, I'm feeling like the reason why they're so passionate and excited about that is because they did their they own did thing. It, it was theirs. It was, it was their deal. Creative and said, let's try this, right? I didn't hear anybody else tell me about this. It just like I sat and I was quiet and I just, you know, figured like thinking things through. It's like, how am I going to do this? And to me, that's the fun part of the business as well. So it's like, what is everybody, like what, I don't care what everybody else is doing. I know motivated seller might want to sell because of inheritance and all this other kind of stuff. Where are they at? What are they doing? How can I get in front of them? And then just have some, a little bit of creativity instead of just always out there searching for what someone else had success with, because there was a lot for them to probably learn to make that successful that you're missing out on because you just got the end part, which is good when you're just getting started because you might not know a whole lot, but you yeah. know, uh, it reminds me of a story. If we have time, I don't know how much time we have left. Yeah. Well, let's, let's take a quick break. And what we can do is we can come back hit the final five. And if we have uh, a few minutes, we can, we can maybe dive into that, but let's take a quick break for now. And then we'll come right back with the final five. This episode of the creative real estate podcast is brought to you by both you and brought to you by the show itself. And we just wanted to say thank you, Jason. I really appreciate having you as a listener and we have an ask. We've got a quick ask. If you have uh, been listening to the show for a little while, you love the show, and you haven't taken the time to leave a rating and a review, I just wanted to ask to see if you wouldn't mind uh, going into iTunes and doing a written review as well as a rating. Um, so that's our only ask. Let's get back to the show. We are back from break with Danny Johnson, not Danny Newman. 
the better of the Dannys. And we're going to jump <laughs> right into what is your most creative real estate deal? Most creative real Well, I think we shared that in, in the beginning. That probably was, was probably the most creative one there. So I'd rather like, share that story. Yeah, let's, dive, let's uh, take a couple of quick minutes and, and dive into the story that you wanted to, to share with the listeners. Yeah, cool. All right. Yeah, so basically I had, had uh, lunch. It's always stuff happens with my mentor. But anyway, we were talking over lunch. <clears throat> and this was maybe like a year ago. And it didn't even fit inside of the conversation at all. So it was kind of interesting it came up. But he said that, you know, whenever Homevestor started in Dallas, when they first started, you know, they came down and actually the founder spoke with my mentor was saying, hey, we'd like for you to be one of the first franchisees. Here's all of the systems. Here's all the processes. What do you think? Do you want to be a franchisee? And he told me that he looked at all of it and he said he just pushed it back across the table and said, no, I'm not interested. Why would I why would I want to do that? Where's all the creativity? And that stuck with me, like him saying this is great. You gave me the business in the box, but where's the fun in that? Like the fun, he realized that the fun that he had had was, you know, figuring it out and doing it and having fun, you know, not just like running processes. So, you know, I, I think that that's something to, to stick with is a good thing that I've been really focused on too, is where's the creativity in this? Do I want to just follow somebody? I just want to forge my own path. I might screw up and fail. Yeah, whatever, but at least I have fun doing it. For sure. That, that's an awesome story. I'm glad, glad you shared it. Where, where do you see the market in five years and where do you see yourself at that time? Where do I see the market in five years? Who knows? I mean, it's been going up and up and up. We have this major disruption that could you know, cause some, some slowdown. I don't think it's going to be anything like it was in 2008. I'm not really concerned about that. The market, you know, I feel like is going to always be slightly increasing, depends on the timeline you're looking at it. So real estate always will be something that people need and will have value. And so I, I adjust as things adjust. If the market starts declining, I'm going to offer less and less and make sure that I have several exit strategies for each property. If I got to hold it, I'm going to buy it at a price where I can rent it and still be okay. That's, that's the only thing. I'll just adjust as it goes. Great. What, what's a book that you recommend or one that you like to read yourself? A book that I recommend, let me see. I, I'm going to say, I think it's called Straight Line Leadership. It's called Great. Straight Line Leadership. is an awesome book. Okay. We'll make sure we get that in the show notes. I need to take a look at that. That's the one I haven't read or listened to. So glad you shared that. Yeah. What's a way that you like to give back to the real estate community? I don't. <laughs> hey, you, you, you got, you got yeah. a lot of uh, podcasts and that yeah, blog. I'll just share that that blog of what you did um, was probably for your own sake when you wrote those deals out for that 30 or 40 uh, weeks or um, that you did uh, almost the year. It was, it was probably mainly f- for you at the time, but things like that is great. So much value add to uh, people getting into the, in the game and seeing the true raw, here is the nuts and bolts of it because everything else, what I like to say is Instagrammed, you know, that filter. Everything has a filter on it today. Everything everyone says is filtered. Everything that they post is filtered and yeah. there's just not enough raw here is what real estate truly is and getting under the sink and getting wet and getting toothpaste <laughs> dripped on you when you're trying to change out faucets or fixing a rental or whatever it is like that's never shown, but that is real estate. That's the day to day. So I think that's value add. And I appreciate you, you know, 
doing that for the people at that time. So um, what, what's the best way that people can reach out to you? Uh, and if they want to learn a little bit more about your different platforms or, or talk to you just in general, what's, what's one way? I know everyone has tons of social media accounts, but yeah, that's way yeah, for so the, just, us. I'll, but, I'll, 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 I mean, if, if you're listening to this, you probably listen to podcasts. So my flipping junkie podcast, uh, I think I'm on episode 160 something. So I've got tons of, of content there. Um, as far as reaching out to me and, and contacting me, Flipping Junkie Group on Facebook is the best place to go. Uh, go to Flipping Junkie Group and, and just request to, to be added and I'll add you into that group and then you can have access to me. Yep. That's awesome. And as always, listeners, if you're driving, riding, biking, uh, we'll have those in the show notes so you can flip through uh, after and click on those links. So easy access. So want to thank Danny Johnson again, uh, for the amazing podcast, hearing his story. And I think for me, it's always a pleasure just hearing people just say, enjoy the journey because no matter where you are, you get caught up in it. And, uh, no matter how many times you try to make sure that you enjoy the day to day, um, you still get caught up in it. That's just life. And especially if you're a competitive person. So I just appreciate people coming out and sharing the raw uh, ways to get creative uh, in real estate to make sure you're just happy on a day-to-day basis because it's not worth it if you're not happy no matter how much money or how many deals or doors you own. So Danny, it's a great pleasure. Uh, we'll have to go fly together at some yeah. point uh, here in the future. And listeners, as always, until the next episode, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.